May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord. Let everything that is of you stick in our spirits, and let everything that is not of you fall to the wayside. Amen. So I sat down at the beginning of the week to make a list of my spiritual heroes. So I started at Jesus, went down to all kinds of A.W. Tozer, Thomas A. Kempis, I think. But I came up with 53 that popped into my head that these are my spiritual heroes. So I expect you all to write all these down. Um, and I was thinking, I, I just wanted to do it without thinking too much about it. Came up with this list. And then I decided to ask, how many of these are married people? And so this, the, the red ones are the married ones. So out of 53 people of my spiritual heroes, only 10 of them turned out they were married. It's less than 19%. So today we are talking about singleness. Um, Susie and I were talking about having an, another, um, we're doing a rel- series on relationships, and I opened my big mouth and said, hey, we really need to have one on singleness, because that's a big part of our church as well. And Susie said, that's a great idea, you have to do it. <laughs> so that's what brings us here today. Um, I uh, married later in life, if you don't know much about me, I was 35. I was a monk. I just assumed that I was uh, celibate in, for the rest of my life, so I never was thought of much about marriage growing up. So I, I give myself the title honorary single person uh, here, um, and I want to start with a disclaimer. I love being married to Liz. I love being Bo's dad. So you're about to hear me say a bunch of stuff that makes you may, might make you think, does Charlie want to leave his family and become single? No, I'm I'm happy with my state in life, but I do recognize some of the advantages of singleness, and that's what we want to talk about today. In the Protestant church, modern Protestant church, we have something that I I call the idolatry of marriage. Um, I think sometimes we've traded in the veneration of Mary for the veneration of marriage. And I think most married people hear that and think that's an extreme term, but I think most single people that are sitting here today will think, know exactly what I'm talking about as soon as I say that. Um, I had someone actually come up to me after the, the first service and say, you know, being single, the church is the hardest place to be single. In every other area of my life, it's, it's easy to be single. It's just another thing. But in the church, it's harder because everyone thinks there's something wrong or try to hook you up, is trying to hook you up with everybody. Um, so if I grow up in an Orthodox circle or a Catholic circle and I'm growing up and I have this hunger to know God and hunger to serve him, and that supersedes my hunger for um, marriage, then there's a place for people like me. <laughs> they have monks, they have nuns, sometimes you can be a priest if you're a man. Um, but it's institutionalized in a way that allows you to think, okay, I'm not super weird because I'm not married, or there's not something wrong. It's just, it's a choice, either a choice I've made or it hasn't happened yet, or I think the kingdom of God is, is superior to that. Um, we don't have so much of that, and so people in the Protestant world sometimes find themselves feeling a little out of place. Um, and I just want to start with a couple of um, just explanations of what I mean by single, um, according to the Bible. Um, if I'm talking about single, it's anyone without a current spouse. Um, could be divorced, could be widowed, could be just never married. And what we're talking about here is the kind of, the single that we're talking about in the scriptures is the single life that is using our time, our money, our energy to pursue God in a life of purity. Okay? Just going to throw that out there, um, what we're talking about. So Susie came up with this great idea, this myths and miracles. And so we're going to start with some myths and miracles about singleness and marriage. Um, Myth number one, I would be happier if I were married. Um, I did some research getting ready for this week. Um, There's a myth that happens. Um, 
we think, well, let's say your happiness level, I, I, maybe I'm a six in happiness level, okay? So my, the myth is this. I am a six. If I get married, boom, I'll probably be at a nine, and I'll just stay the rest of my life at that nine, right? That's what we think. Um, the actual reality is if, if you stay single and you're a six, and you maintain relationships throughout your life, you'll probably stay a six. That's a single life. Here's the reality of marriage. If you're a six, okay, here comes the wedding. There goes the wedding. I'm still a six. <laughs> that's truth. That's actually truth. Um, so the myth is marriage is going to make me happy. Um, you're going to be probably just as happy being married as you are as a single person. Um, and if you, if you buy too much into this myth, then that's probably going to go a little lower because you're going to be so disillusioned and wonder, what the heck do, do I do now? Two, I would be complete if I were married. Our culture bombards us with this thing. Is you're not complete as a single person. You need somebody else, some other, for some reason, we think that one fallen human being attached to another fallen human being somehow equals completeness. It's not, that does, it's not the way it works. Um, let's see what our culture says couple of clips. You guys recognize this one? I love you. You complete me. Jan. You complete me. up better for Jerry Maguire than it did for Michael Scott. Um, but the only way any of us are ever going to be complete is if we join in who is completeness himself, right? Completeness happens in Jesus Christ alone. I can, I can grab, I could marry 18 people and still be probably less complete than I am now, right? Because it just takes away. It doesn't work that way. I, my only completeness happens when I enter into completeness himself. Three, uh, people shouldn't, couldn't, can't control their sexual appetites. Um, our culture makes it sound like any urge has to be fulfilled and we'll die if we don't fulfill those urges. Um, John Stott is actually one of my guys on my heroes list. He's probably one of the best preachers in the past hundred years, uh, theologian guy. The quote that he says is, We Christians must insist that self-control is possible. We have to learn, that contr- we have to, learn to control our temper, our tongue, our greed, our jealousy, our pride, why should it be thought impossible to control our libido? To say that we cannot is to deny our dignity as human beings and to descend to the level of animals which are created of unco- uncontrolled instinct. Well, smart enough to know what that means. Four, marriage is forever. And this is the big wah-wah for all the romantics in the room, but it's, it's not if it's the eternal romance is what this is talking about. Jesus, when they asked him about these kind of things, he says in Matthew 22, 30, and in two other Gospels as well, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And this is good news. It sounds like bad news, but it's actually good news. When I see Liz on the other side, I think I'll recognize probably that we were married and have a good feeling about that, but we'll be so caught up in a totally different romance, so focused on being one in Jesus Christ, that that'll be like a side thing. But I will never refer to Liz as my anything 
in the afterlife. And she'll never refer to me as my husband or anything like that. And I know that's sad to some people, but I think it's a really, it's a good thing because there's a greater romance going on. We're involved in something so much bigger than we ever realize. Okay, so if you're longing for marriage because it's, you'll be someone with someone for eternity, it's not quite like that. Um, so it might be 40, 50 years. Even if it's 83 years like the people we saw last week, that's just a blip in eternity. So that's another myth. Let's go to the miracles. If you're a single person today, these may not sound like miracles, but if you're married, especially married with kids, all of these are miracles. Number one, time and control over it. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing you have as a single person that most married people, particularly married with children, have. And again, I understand as well that if you are a single parent in the room, especially these time things don't exactly apply as the same way as someone without kids. But having time and being able to control it is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So if you're single in the room and that's your uh, situation, appreciate that. Two, an undivided heart. Um, Paul talks about this, and we'll get to this later on. But if, let's say God is here, and I am here. If I'm single, then I'm allowed to give all of my attention with this big, fat strip of um, everything that I have, my affections and my attention to God. I can do that, and I'm not letting anyone down. Um, here, when I have a wife here, and I have a couple kids over here, then I only have so much bandwidth, right? So the kids get a little bit of it, the wife gets a little bit of it, and so it's a thinner thrust towards uh, my attention and all that kind of stuff towards God. That's just the reality of it. One is not better than the other, and I don't, want me, I don't want anyone hearing that coming from me, that one is better than the other. However, the amount of attention and the amount of affection and the amount of all that towards God is bigger when you don't have to divide it with other people. We're finite beings. It's just a reality. Three, availability. It's a wonderful thing that um, single people have a little bit more than married, um, particularly married with kids, is, hey, do you want to go do this? Yes, I can do that. I don't have to check with 15 other people and arrange babysitters and all this kind of thing. Hey, can you go on a mission trip this summer? Yeah, I think I can do that. And it, the answer can happen that fast. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And being available in the kingdom like that is a wonderful thing to have because you don't have to check with everything. Um, you're just available for the Lord. Four, when you find completeness in God alone, that is such a witness to everyone in your life particularly other single people that think that they need someone else to complete them, is if I can find completeness as a single person without someone else, everyone can see that. If I come to some kind of contentment in the Lord alone, then that will cause a question to be asked, how do you do that? How does that work for you? And the answer is, I found actual completeness in the only place that it can be found in Jesus Christ. Okay, there's our myths and uh, miracles. So let's go to the scriptures. I want to talk about Jesus and Paul addressed this very distinctly. Um, and so I'm going to start with Matthew 19. Um, he, Jesus has just described something about how, how divorce works. And he, he added some things to it that they'd never heard before. And it was a different way that they thought, thought about it. And so when, when they heard this, the disciples said, if the relationship of a man and the, with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry so his response to this was, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given, not all people. 
For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are also eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Jesus using the term eunuch is a really, really bold decision on his part. Eunuchs were, there, they were about as pitied as any uh, class of people in Jesus' culture. In the Jewish culture, in Jesus' day, uh, being a eunuch means you're not going to get married, which is very important in that culture. It means you're not going to have any kids, which is very important in that culture. It also means you can't serve as a priest. So those are three things you can't do, and those are three, three of the biggest, biggest things in the Jewish culture at his time you couldn't do. And Jesus, when he uses that word, he's one of these. So Jesus choosing to be a single man, to live his entire life single, but finding his, his completion in God was a huge counterculture thing to do. Um, and and he, when he did that, he elevated the single life more than it ever had been before. So he's saying there's three types of people who are eunuchs. There are people who are actually born without that great, great desire to be married, and that aren't burning with that uh, desire for sexual intimacy, okay? They're out there. Uh, it's okay. He's saying um, that you can be born without that need. Okay, then there's the second um, set group is, we're not going to really talk about them because that really doesn't happen much in our days. It's people who were castrated to watch a harem in somebody's court. Um, so three, there are people who choose on purpose to remain single because they feel they are more useful to the kingdom because of it and they can become more intimate with Jesus because of it. They're actual people who do this. So one and three are both people who've decided on that. So don't try to set those people up. <laughs> we in the church are like notorious for, you're single, I know another single person, therefore you should get married. Uh, let's not do that to people if, they're not, if they don't want that, if they've chosen that. Not that it's the heart's usually good, but that's not always the best way of going about doing things. So Jesus says, those who are able to accept this, let them accept it. So this is, somebody came up to me after the last service, he's like, I've never heard anyone preach on Matthew 19 before, so I want to say something that might make a bunch of people mad, but I'm going to, it's Jesus saying it, it's not me saying it. So, So those who are able to accept this, can't let them accept it. If you are single in this room today, can you answer this question for me? You don't have to say it out loud. Do you believe that you could give up marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God? Think about it. It's a big decision. But if you can say yes to that question, then Jesus says you should say yes to that question. Do we see that? I know that's a big thing. And I know there's a bunch of people out there who want their kids, that want biological grandkids that are pushing that. Or you may have parents that want biological grandkids. But Jesus is saying, those are Jesus' words, if you can accept that, then you should. Because you will know me in a different way. You will be valuable to the kingdom in a different way than you would be if you were married. All right, Paul fleshes this out a little bit more for us. And this is in 1 Corinthians 7. If you got the notes... um, for this, yours will be in the, um, the NIV. I'm going to say it from the message translation because it just comes at us in a different way, I think. And it's, kinda, it's more fun to read. Uh, so it starts in verse 7. Paul talking about this. Uh, I'm going to cut out in, in, the, in chapter 7 the parts that it's talking about married life because I, we're specifically talking about single and we have a certain amount of time. So starting in verse 7. 
Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is, is for everyone. God gives the gifts of the single life to some, the gift of married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and the widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. And he goes on in 32 to 35, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. Me too. (laughs) When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. That's right here. That's the chart right there that Paul's talking about. This is a great, if you ever wonder where priestly celibacy comes from, it comes from this next line here. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. That makes sense, right? If you're married with a family, a lot of your focus is towards your own family. And it should be. That's the way it works. But if you're unmarried and, and you've decided that, then you can, you can spend your affections and your energy and your time and your money on the kingdom of God. Then you're useful in that way. Back to Paul. I'm trying to be helpful and make it easy as, as easy as possible for you, not make things harder. And this last one I love, and this is our prayer for everyone in this room. It's for my prayer for myself. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Man, that's a desire of my heart. I want to be able to spend as much time with the Lord as I can without distractions and still be a good father and still be a good husband and still to be a good minister, right? That's what we all want. And Paul's saying, you know, here's the thing. This is going to be easier for you if you are a single person. And he wraps it all up at the end in a really wonderful way. And he's saying in verse 38, he says, Marriage is spiritually and morally right. It is right to be married. And not inferior to singleness in any way. There is no value of one being higher than the other. Although, as I indicated earlier, because of the times we live in, I do have pastoral reasons for encouraging singleness. So I, want, I, I think it's important for us to see this because I think in our hearts sometimes, without knowing it, we think that marriage is above singleness for some reason. Paul's saying, no, I need to keep saying this to you so you don't think that I'm saying that singleness is above marriage, right? It seems like marriage is the concession when Paul's doing it, so he keeps on saying, no, you're both, you're both good. But we need to stop thinking of singleness as something less than in any way because, honestly, it works better for the gospel. And it works better for the kingdom of God in some ways. Marriage works better in some ways as well. You got that? They're they're equal. But singleness is not less than. If I'm single, I'm being given the opportunity to focus on Jesus and the life that he wants me to lead without the constant feeling of responsibilities for those who depend on me. Again, if you're a single parent, it doesn't apply completely the same way. But if I'm single, I can take the time to build my relationship with God as diligently as I will ever do if I end up getting married. Um, So if I'm single now, let's say there's two scenarios here. If I'm single now, if I take full advantage of the time and the energy and the effort, the money I have to 
further myself in the kingdom, to go more and more deep in the Lord, and to do missions, things like that, to serve, then I'm becoming this person that's going to be better in marriage anyway. And if, I, and if I'm never married, either by decision or just by the way the cookie crumbles, I don't get married, then I will never regret any second or any energy that I ever put into knowing him better and serving him. So when I step over on the other side after death, if I never was married, I'm going to be thankful for every bit of that time that I used wisely as a single person. There's a great temptation when we're single, and this is a great, great temptation for all of us, but I'm speaking about singleness today. There's a great temptation when we're single to waste the life that we're leading while we're waiting on a different one. Does that make sense? You know, we've been there. I think we've all been there. We're all there in certain areas of our life. But it's like we're living in a bus stop, waiting for a bus that may or may not come. But I don't want to leave the bus stop. You know, I just want to sit here and wait and watch for that bus while life is passing me by. And that that can happen with us sometimes. And sometimes I have conversations with single people who really, really want to be married, and it becomes such a focus that they can't take their eyes off of it long enough to live life. We want to step out of the bus and pursue the Lord and let what happens happen. Okay, I'm going to say a statement. I'm going to say it over and over again using different states, and I just want us to repeat it back within our heads. Um, God is using my singleness to bring me closer to him. God is using my marriage to bring me closer to him. God is using my parenthood to bring me closer to him. God is using my widowhood to bring me closer to him. God is using my divorce to bring me closer to him. Do you know how I know this is true? Because God uses every circumstance in your life to bring you closer to him. That's what he does. He thinks about you all the time, and he loves you more dearly than you can ever imagine. He's with you in your struggle, and he loves you in a way that you can't understand. Of course he's going to work in whatever circumstances in your life because he can and because he loves you. There's a book. Um, that There's certain books that I think every Christian should get as soon as they become a Christian. One of them is called Abandonment to Divine Providence by a guy named Jean-Pierre de Cassade. And basically the premise of the book is whatever circumstance you find yourself in, God is using that to bring you closer to him. That is the will of God in your life. Even if I'm in a circumstance because I made some really stupid mistakes, but here I am, God is going to use that, and it's, it's the will of God right now in my life. I always think of God as a poker player. I think I've said this before, but it doesn't matter what cards you give him. <laughs> he can play them. He's such a good player. He's always going to win with that. And so whatever circumstance I find myself in, for whatever reason I'm in it, that's the will of God right now in the present moment, and he's going to use it to bring me closer to him. Okay, when I talk about singleness and marriage and all this, there's a big desire component that I want to talk about. Um, I think the way we think about desires in our culture for sure, and it's crept into the church a little bit as well, is we've kind of deified them. Um, I'm going to give you a true or false uh, thing. All right, true or false, if I really desire something, that means it is God's will for me. Please say false, please say false. (laughs) <laughs> but our culture will tell you, I mean, how, how, how familiar does this sound to you? 
I have a desire for something. I really want that thing. Not only should you have it, but you deserve it. Is that the culture, the, the thing we hear? Where did that come from? Why do I deserve something? Take that to South Sudan and see how that sells, you know? But it's also crept into the church as well, where it's, I have this desire, and it, st- it stays there, and I really, really want it. Therefore, it must be God's will. God must have given me this desire. Maybe, but maybe not. It has to line up with Scripture. Sometimes that, that thinking ends up with conversations like this. I know she's married, but this woman really gets me like nobody else does. I think she's my soulmate. I, I can't stop thinking about her, and so it must be God's will that I pursue her. No, it's not God's will that you pursue her. Every desire has to line up with Scripture and with the character of God. And sometimes we take things as promises that are not promises at all. It's good for us to understand that. Now, the problem is that's a pendulum that's happened because of our Puritan past where we just repress all desires and try to not have them at all. What happens with desires is it has to be replaced by a greater desire that's bigger than anything that's inside of us. If I really want, let's say marriage, because we're talking about singleness, if I really want marriage and it's an unhealthy thing that I've, it's become an attachment for me that I can't kind of get over, it has to, something has to well up to push it out. And not, not that it'll leave altogether, all but I have to be so focused on the kingdom, and that's why I pray all the time for everyone in this room, everyone in this church, for myself, for my family, that God would give us a gift of hunger, a hunger to know him, to, go into, to be intimate with him, that pushes out those side desires that aren't quite as important as we think they are. That solves a lot of problem when, when our hunger is for him. The one thing I want all single people to leave with today is this. You have an incredible opportunity to go deep in intimacy with God and serve him with more focus and intensity because you are single right now. I don't want any of us to waste a gift that God is giving us, particularly if that, God, if that is going to make us deeper followers and um, yeah, more obedient followers of him. All of us have gifts in life, but if you're not married, this is one of the big gift that you have right now. And I pray that we would use it for eternity, and I guarantee you'll never regret that. I want to invite the band up um, to finish off today. Um, one of the things uh, Susie and Tim and I have been doing is we like, we're, like, we're trying to incorporate some things at the end of our talks, like the balloons and think, tangible things that we can do. Sometimes it's a moment of silence. Because we don't want you just only to hear something, and, and it remains in our head, and then we turn around and walk out, and it never goes anywhere. We want everything that we say up here to enter into our heart and become a conversation that you have with the Lord. And so today I just want to start a conversation between you and the Lord that hopefully will continue as we leave, okay? So if it's helpful to you um, to concentrate, I just ask you to close your eyes. It's helpful to me a lot of times. And I'm just going to ask you some questions, and I just want you to take these questions and talk to the Lord about it in your mind. So first, what is the state of my life? Am I married? Am I single? Am I engaged? Am I divorced? Am I widowed? And regardless of how you think of it right now, maybe you're discontent with your state in life, but I want us to thank the Lord for this state because it is a gift from Him. Lord, thank you for this state in my life. 
I acknowledge that it is a gift from you that you are using to draw me closer to you. Lord, I ask you to help me see how how you are using my status to draw me to you. What advantages do I have in the spiritual realm because of my status, because of my singleness or my marriage or my divorce, my widowhood? Lord, I know that there's some that I see and there's some that I don't, and I ask that you would reveal those to me. last one, if it's helpful, just to get out a pen and paper and write it down to kind of make this kind of marching orders as we leave. What are the ways that I can make the most of these advantages? Show me some tangible, practical things that I can do to take advantage of my state. for a hunger for you that would displace all the desires that are not of you and not all that important. That would draw me into a journey of intimacy with you. Lord, if I have an unhealthy longing to be married, would you replace it with a greater longing for you? Lord, I submit my life to your will and I ask you to come and complete me. Acknowledge that you are the only one who can do this. Lord, I thank you for the time, the availability, the single focus that is available to me in this season of my life, if I'm single. And I pray that you would help me to take full advantage of it. And I pray that all of us would take full advantage of all that you have for us in our state of life. We love you today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.